Last week, when we went through John's prologue, uh, we're in First John chapter uh, chapter one. When we went th- when we went through John's prologue, the first four verses, um, we saw that he intended to strengthen the believer's commitment to the good news concerning the word of life. Uh, what we discovered was that this word of life he was speaking about was none other than the person of Jesus Christ. He wanted to remind the readers the origins and the authenticity of the word of life. And this gospel message is what makes up the basis of the fellowship they share and in which which he wants them to continue. In other words, he sought to reassure you as a reader of the truth of the gospel, of the gospel message concerning Jesus Christ, so that you may have fellowship with God and one another and so that your joy may be complete in that fellowship. In our passage this week, John begins to lay the fundamental, the foundational and applicational truths about this message. And the way he does that is by doing the following. First, he declares the primary premise or the main thesis for what he is about to write. Secondly, he draws, out, he draws out the practical applications for life that come from this essential principle. And finally, he clarifies possible misunderstandings with some negative and, po- and positive conditional statements. So this is what I hope the Lord will show you by the time you leave here today. God is light, and in his light, There is truth and hope. The more you walk in the light of God, the more you will enjoy his fellowship and experience the spiritual renewal that comes from the blood of Christ. So what we're going to do this morning is read the entire passage and then examine it piece by piece. But before we do that, let's let's ask the Lord to uh, speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, um, again, we come before you to, in, in thankfulness and in praise and in worship for bringing us here today, today, Lord. Lord, we ask that you soften our hearts, soften our minds to receive it, Lord. Lord, we desperately yearn to hear from you. So now as we dig deep into your word, Lord, show us, show us again what that fellowship is like. A fellowship with you and what it means to walk in the light, Lord. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. And we're going to be starting in verse 5. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John begins verse 5 by summarizing the message which he heard directly from Jesus. He then writes, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Here is where John declares the theological foundation for the rest of the passage. This is what I mean by the main thesis, the, the main premise of what he's about to write for the rest of the passage. One of the main characteristics of God is that he is absolutely holy. Now, being absolutely holy, God is therefore referred to as the light. So because God is the light, there is nothing evil or sinful in him or about him. Now, as the light, this makes God the source and the measure of all life, truth, and reality. Let me explain what I mean by that. Just as we know that life wouldn't be possible without the heat and light of the sun, our spiritual life wouldn't be possible without the light of God. Jesus said in John 8, 12, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, God's light is also the source of all truth to, that helps us to clearly see and understand what, true, what is true and what isn't. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, The rock, which is, which is God, His work is perfect. All His ways are entirely just. A faithful God without prejudice. He is righteous and true. And lastly, God li God's light reveals everything that is real. Speaking of God, this is what the prophet Daniel said in Daniel 2.22. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Now, if God, if God is light, then in him there is no darkness. Why? Well, what's the definition of darkness? Darkness is the absence of light, no light at all. When the Bible talks about darkness, it's referring to anything or, any, or, anything or anywhere God isn't present. This would include anyone who doesn't know him. Speaking of unbelievers, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.17, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because the hardness of their hearts. Whoever, however, those who know God are in fellowship with him and, and with Jesus. And together, they're in the light. As believers, 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, For you are all sons 
of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or darkness. So the important question all of us must honestly answer, whether it's me as the pastor or you as the listener, um, wherever it is, we all must ask ourselves this, constantly this question, am I in the light or am I in darkness? Well, that answer depends on whether or not you have a relationship with God. You see, prior to asking Jesus into my heart, I was in this darkness. I had no idea. I had a concept of God. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I had a concept of God. I knew that Jesus had died on the cross. Um, my mom had showed me how to pray, how to pray different things, different people. Um, but nonetheless, I learned she taught me how to pray. I had a good concept of who God was, that he was holy and he was righteous and um, among other things. But I had no idea who he truly, truly was. I was in this darkness. But the moment I surrendered my life to him, the moment that beam, small little flicker of light came on, I surrendered my life to him. I gave my life over to him. And he saved me, and he brought me into that light. But let me, let, me, let me tell you also what became obvious to me. There's a big difference between being in darkness and choosing to be in the dark. You see, being in darkness is living in ignorance of who God truly is. Paul wrote about those who are in the darkness in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this darkness is like seeing the shapes and lines of, of the, on the pages of a book, but not understanding that they're letters and words that make up a story. Does that make sense? It's like going, seeing a bicycle and not knowing what it is, not knowing what it does. It's like walking into a mall and not knowing what you're supposed to do there. I mean, I can come up with a million examples, but it's complete ignorance. It's not knowing, again, what the purpose is and what the beauty is behind that, that, that that thing, and for in our case here, the Word of God. On the other hand, choosing to be in the dark is knowing the truth about God, but ignoring it. Paul wrote about those who chose to be in the dark in 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, turn to turn 
back from the holy command that delivered, uh, delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing itself wallows in the mud. When you choose to live in the dark, the conviction of sin is heavier. Now the thing about, the great thing about the light of God is that regardless if you're in the darkness or choose to be in the dark, His light shows you the filth in your life that's keeping you from the relationship that He wants to have with you. It's as if He walks into a darkened room and He flips the switch and we see, we, we just completely see all the dirt, all the mire, all the, all the nastiness of sin. And so see, all he wants you to do when he flips that switch, rather than living bummed out about it and saying, oh, this is too much, I'll never be able, this will never be cleaned up, and, and uh, might as well just accept this situation. No, he says, all, what all he wants you to do, all he wants you to do is take that filth and lay it at the cross of Jesus. See, he died on the cross to forgive you of all your sins. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. Now, as we move on to John's application and clarification that God is light, he's going to present five conditional statements explaining what he means by God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So let's move on to verses 6 and 7. Again, there he says, For if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So after stating his main point for this portion of the letter, that God is light, draw, God, um, John draws out the practical application for this truth with two conditional statements in verses 6 and 7. And here again, we see what that, the main application is, walking to walk in the light. In verse 6, he states the negative. The negative side of this application by dealing with the false claim of fellowship. Now with this first conditional statement, John is saying that if anyone claims to have fellowship with God, yet walk, is walking in darkness, of sinful behaviors and negative thoughts, then they're guilty of two offenses. First, they're guilty of lying about their relationship with God. And second, they are guilty of not living in the light of truth and seeking 
to avoid sin. You see, it's not enough to claim to know God. People must also live in the light of that truth, putting it into practice and avoiding sin. We learn something of what this means from the positive application that God is light. In the second conditional statement, John is saying that walking in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. This means seeing reality for what it is and being controlled by the desires that are in harmony with God's light. It's a conduct according to Christian truth so as to live a holy life. Now this is what Peter meant when he said in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, in doing this, in living this way, there are two consequences that follow. First, we have fellowship with one another. What this implies is that when two Christians are in the right relationship with God, they will also be naturally in a right relationship with each other. And the second consequence that follows is the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Christians who walk in the light are continually being purified from their sins. It's an ongoing purification process. It isn't completed until we meet the Lord. For 10 years, I walked, I chose to walk in darkness, in the darkness. You see, prior to giving my life to the Lord when I was about 20 years old, I was in the darkness. And in about 25 till about 35, I chose to be in the dark. Now during those 10 years, yes, I walked away from God. I completely said, and I admit it, I said, no thanks God, I, I can do this myself. I tried really hard during that time to convince myself and others that me and God had a unique relationship. Now this is what I was essentially saying. Yeah, he knows me. I know him. We have this connection that no one else would understand. You see, we're cool with each other. He knows, he knows who I am. He loves me regardless of what I do. And you know, no matter how badly I sin, he still loves me. And, and I, you know, as long as I know him and I don't deny him and I don't, you know, I, yeah, I was trying to convince myself and others of this lie. Now, every time I read verse 7, I honestly realize how much of an idiot I was. Not only was I lying about my relationship with God, but I was guilty of not living 
in the light of the truth. Sadly, I have known and spoken with a lot of people who are trying to convince themselves of the same thing. And they're trying to convince themselves of this, and I know this from experience, is to justify their sinful behavior. If you're watching and you're listening and that's, and that's you, let me say this with sincerity and with love. Repent. Re- re- just turn back now. I'm, I, I want to save you from so much pain and so much heartache, not just to yourself, but to those around you, to those who love you. Know and understand the truth. You're not in fellowship. You're in, you're in darkness. If you're not right with God, you need to ask him to forgive you. Now, if this describes someone you know or someone that you love, don't stop loving them. Don't stop praying for them. If you're in contact with them, encourage them. Remind them that God is waiting for them, that God still you know, hasn't abandoned them. But again, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for them. You never know. God may lead them to a passage like this and convict them enough that they repent of their sins and start living in the truth of God's light. Now, if you are walking in God's light, verse 8 ought to give you some peace and comfort. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Also, let that light shine bright wherever the Lord has you. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. All right, so the foundation of this passage is walk in God's light. And in order to apply that fundamental truth, we must walk in the light. Now, in the following three verses, John will clarify this truth with a warning not to claim to be without sin. Let's go to verse 8 again, and I'll be reading that once more. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. If we say we, ha- we don't have sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So as I mentioned, John now seeks to clarify what he said in verse 7 in this third conditional statement. In this third conditional statement, he says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, he, will, he knows that some will try to misinterpret this to mean that Christians don't sin or will not sin anymore. I think this is called like a perfectionist theology. You see, there, there were at that time and still to this day, certain teachers that will teach, or false teachers that will teach that a person's conduct after salvation must be perfect. So this would either mean that, that, that either they believed their sinful nature was eradicated, or they had morally progressed, or he evolved, or yeah, transformed beyond their innate sinful condition, and so, they were, so they're no longer capable of sinning. So John is making it clear that to think this of ourselves is to deceive ourselves. And to say this of ourselves is to lie. In other words, those who have this perfectionist belief are not in fellowship with God and are walking in darkness. So here's another question. If Christians still have their sinful nature after conversion, what distinguishes them from the non-believer? And the answer to that question is the light of God, the Holy Spirit that's within you. When you are born again, that light of God comes on or comes into your heart and reveals the, the sin that hid in darkness. You become aware of it and you become aware of offending God, whether it's cheating or stealing or whatever it is, you become aware that, man, I, I really have blown it. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm really a messed up person. So yeah, you become aware of it as a Christian and you can't hide it anymore. So the proper response when this happens is to confess it. Repent of it. Accept his forgiveness and continue walking in the light. The mistake many Christians often make is that they they blow it. They mess up. They sin. because, Because again, we're not perfect. I mean, we still, God sees us as perfect. We're righteous now in his eyes because of the blood of Jesus. But we still have this flesh. We still have this sinful nature. And what happens is that we blow it, we mess up, and we stay in that condition. We say, oh man, I really messed up and I really sinned and God will never love me again or you know, he's gonna give me a timeout and I have to wait until that timeout is over um, before I can be in fellowship. Again, you mess up, you confess it, you repent, and you keep moving forward. He doesn't want you to stay in that condition, that condition of, of, of sorrow, of, of feeling sorry for yourself. He wants you to keep walking, keep walking in the light.
Because the more you walk in the light, the more he's going to reveal things to you. And again, you, you have to keep understanding and knowing that he's forgiven you and that he loves you and he just, he's doing this, you know, he's showing you these things for your benefit so that you will get rid of it so that nothing will be in the way between your relationship and his. I like how John Piper put it. He said, the mark of a new creature in Christ is not a rosy concept. It is brokenness for remaining sin mingled with joyful confidence in a superabounding grace of God in Christ. So after addressing the false claim of we have no sin and the self-deception self of it, John counters it with his fourth conditional statement. The, sent the sentence begins with the words, if we confess our sins. This is a situation in which a Christian believer acknowledges their sin in an ongoing way, and in, in a continual way, by confessing it. There's this false belief that confession has to be done in a particular way. The truth is, you can confess your sins to God whenever you become aware of it. The moment you say, oh my goodness, I've blown it. I, I, was, I shared this story with my wife. It, this must have happened maybe a couple years ago. I was an avid runner at one time, and I, hopefully one day I'll continue in that. In that uh, <laughs> well, I was running one day, and I was running through the park, and, and this guy had let his dog loose off the leash. And as a runner, that's, that's not a good thing. You know, you just don't know what kind of dog. It could be the most friendliest dog, um, but you just don't know. As a runner, you don't know that dog. And so this dog started coming up to me and, and, and barking and barking, you know, just, and when that happens, I have, you know, I, the first thought in my head is just not running away, but just walking up to it and kicking it as hard as I as hard as I can. And I feel horrible about this because, again, I have two little, two little dogs myself. But you're running, your adrenaline's going, you're li I'm listening to music, and, and this dog starts, you know, your adrenaline just goes. It, it, you know, you just want to do something about it. This guy comes up and he's like, no, it's okay, My dogs, the dogs are friendly. And I reacted again out of emotion, out of that anger. I was like, leash up your dog. I, I'm sure I said more than that, but, you know, I, it was like, leash your dog. Um, after I kept going, I felt convicted. I felt really horrible about it. Not just for having the thoughts of hurting these dogs, but also saying what I said to this, to this man. And so, yeah, you know, I, I repented of my sin and, and, and asked the Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and, and now I'm more aware. I'm more aware now that I have to be careful about my emotions and anger and just what I'm doing. I can't let that get out of control. Again, the truth is you can confess your sins to God whenever you become aware of it. You can do it privately in prayer or publicly with others who are there, your Christian brothers and sisters, who are there to counsel you, to pray with you, to comfort you. Now it's important to keep in mind 
that confession is vital to maintain is vital to maintain relationship with God. And this is the context John speaks from. As God convicts us of sin that is hindering our fellowship with him, we must confess it and receive forgiveness and cleansing for our relation for our relationship with God to continue without hindrance. So what does John tell us happens after we confess our sins? He says he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here John says forth two aspects of God's response to people who confess their sins. God responds to those who confess their sins with forgiveness. Meaning, he's not going to hold it against you. He's forgiven you. He's not going to say, hey, you know what? You remember that time you wanted to kick that dog and you, wanted, and you yelled at that person? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get you for that or I'm holding that against you. No, he, he doesn't. He just he lets it go. He forgives you for that sin. He doesn't hold it against you. And the second response to those who confess is by purifying them from all unrighteousness. Meaning, he removes the defilement which their sin has produced. When we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin if we walk in the light. He cleans us out. He washes us pure when, we, when we're walking in that light. Here's how Charles Spurgeon interpreted this verse. Treat God truthfully and he will treat you truthfully. Make no pretensions before God, but lay bare your soul let him see it as it is and then he will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness now this verse shouldn't be used as an excuse to lead us into sin because if you think about it some people can misconstrue it also and say hey he's going to forgive me and cleanse me I might as well just do whatever I want to do and continue in my sin. No, rather it should lead us out of sin. There is no more sure evidence that a person is out of fellowship with God than for someone to contemplate or commit sin with the idea, I can just ask God for forgiveness later. And how easy is that for us to think? you know what, I'm going to watch this movie that I shouldn't be watching because God is going to forgive me later. I shouldn't buy this because it's just, it's, it's not right. God's going to forgive me later. I shouldn't be dating this person. God's going to forgive me later. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can say. But again, there's that idea. He'll just forgive me later. 
since God is light and in him is no darkness at all, we can be assured that the person who commits sin with this idea in your head is not in fellowship with God. You're lying. You're not only lying to God, you're lying to yourself. You're in the darkness. Finally, verse 10 repeats verse 8 with a stronger warning. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In this last conditional statement, what he's implying is that the claim to sinlessness is not only self-deception, it's blasphemy. It amounts to calling God a liar. In addition, the idea that his word is not in us is related to the idea that Jesus is the word of life in, in verse 1 of this passage. If we, refuse to see, if we refuse to see the sin in us, we show that Jesus is not in us. As born again believers, if you consider yourself a born-again Christian, we must constantly examine ourselves to see if we're truly walking in the light. When we stop or we fail to take an honest look at ourselves, it can become very easy to think, to believe that we're walking in the light when actually we're in darkness. You see, we may be forgiven, but we're not yet perfected. Perfection isn't attained until we're home with the Lord. So until then, we're gonna still struggle with our sinful nature. Writing about becoming like Christ, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's important, therefore, that you walk in the light every single day of your life. The more you walk in the light, the more God will reveal to, will reveal to you every hidden sin and idol in your life. You see, he knows. He knows those secret compartments 
of your sin that those closest to you don't know, that your parents don't know, that your wife doesn't know, that your husband doesn't know. He knows what they are. And when he goes in there and shines it and reveals it to you, what are you going to do about it? It's, it's not going to be easy because he's telling you when he shines it on, on, when he shines on it and his light shines on it, he's essentially telling you, you need to get rid of this because it's getting in the way. If you want to mature, if you want to keep growing as a Christian, as a believer, as my child, you need to get rid of this sin. Some of you may already know what it is. I mean, I, honestly, I, there are things that, I'm still, that I still struggle with that the Lord has revealed to me that I'm, that I'm working on. It's not very easy, but I tell you what, there are, there are certain things that I've already, he's already, I've already dealt with. Idols, sins that he's revealed to me that I understand and I realize uh, if I wanted to grow as a Christian, I needed to get rid of it. And again, as I said, it's an ongoing process. And the, again, the more you walk in that light, the more he's going to reveal and the harder, it, the harder it is. Those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. He knows those secret compartments and will expose them. But he does it because he loves you. And he doesn't want anything to get in the way between you and him. Also, the more you walk in the light, the more we will be honest with ourselves, honest with others, and honest with God. When I rededicated my life back in 2010, after walking away for 10 years, I strove, and I still am, to be as transparent as possible. Do you want to know something about me? Then just ask me, and I will tell you. If you want to know what I did, what horrible things I did in those 10 years, I will tell you. But I will tell you not to brag about it, but to show you what God has done in my life. The, the radical change he did in my life. And how, and because of that, how much I, I, I glorify him, how much I am, um, I am so thankful and of his mercy. But I will also tell you so that you can see that whatever you're dealing with, he will change you too. He will transform you too. He will clean you up. He will cleanse you. But it begins by just confessing it, repenting of it, moving forward accepting that forgiveness and then moving forward. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. 
be honest with God. So as I conclude, let me ask you, are you walking in the light or are you in darkness? Or have you chosen to be in the dark? And I'm, and I'm speaking to those who are here and those who are watching and listening. If you can honestly say that you're walking in the light, then keep walking in it. When your sins and idols are exposed, it won't be easy to get rid of it. But he does it for your benefit. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that, your perception, that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling? What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to those who believe, or to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength? So again, if you're listening to this message and you realize that you've been in darkness, in ignorance, let him, let Jesus into your heart and allow him to shine the light of his truth within you. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, for God, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Come to him. Open the doors to your heart. If you're, if something is clicking and something is, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bright light that the Lord is flickering and he's showing you, just come to that light. And when you do, it's like, he shines the, the sun right in your life. But again, you have to come to him. If you've chosen, if you're the kind of person that has chosen to be in the dark, then I'm telling you, exhorting you, I'm pleading with you, come back into the light and walk in it once again. There's no better place to be. Yes, it's hard, it's difficult, you know, but. The Lord never said that this Christian life was going to be easy. But he's tr being transformed, being changed. And one day we will be like him. Isaiah 58.8 says, Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Where are you? Where's your heart today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this message is deep. It's heavy. It shows us, Lord, reveals to us those deep hidden things that are within us. Things that are just very easy to ignore. As your word says, it would be wrong for us to continue to ignore it and continue to believe a lie that we're okay, Lord. 
whatever it is that's convicting us today, whatever it is that is holding us down, whatever is getting in the way of that relationship with you, Lord. We just give it to you now, Lord. We, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. And we just give it to you. We lay it at the foot of the cross. And we just come to you. Arms open, hearts open, minds open, Lord. And just fill us. Fill us with your grace and your mercy and your love because that's what we need. Minister to us, Lord, so that we can continue to walk with you, continue to walk in the light. Again, if there's anyone watching or listening and sees that little glimmer of light and you're ready to come to that light and just ask the Lord and, and are ready to surrender your life to the Lord. Wherever you are in the quietness of your heart, just pray this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I come before that cross to ask for forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is Lord and He is God and that He died for me. Lord, as I lay my sins before you, as I empty myself of these sins, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Help me, give me the strength to walk with you for the rest of my life. I accept forgiveness. And I thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name.